welcome back to the latest edition of the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from the Athletics Tour, Mandel. Uh, we are taping Wednesday, um, a few days after Christmas, and a few days before Stu makes his way down to Southern California, where we will both be covering the Rose Bowl. Um, it's a chance for us to maybe touch on some bowls that have happened, but also get into the New Year's Six Bowls, not just Michigan, Alabama, and Texas, Washington. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, Stu, what are you most interested about this holiday season? Uh, are we counting the? Are we keeping the playoff in there? Or are we is it going outside the playoff? It could be. It could be everything. I mean, it could be what it could be the playoff, and then what 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 other bowl are you most fascinated by? Um, so you know, I think of the New Year's Six bowls. It's definitely Ohio State, Missouri, and the Cotton Bowl. Um, you know, I'm a little bit surprised, pleasantly surprised that Ohio State, so many of their guys are playing in this game. Obviously, not the starting quarterback. Um, so we'll see the first of Devin Brown. We'll see a lot of, you know, and I think this has been such a great year for Missouri, and this is a great opportunity for them. Um, you know, oftentimes these games come down to who cares more. But I think Ohio State cares. I mean, I think, you know, I think uh, it, it, perhaps I'm completely wrong, but some of the quotes from some of their players, I mean, they, you know, they haven't had a chance to, um, you know, they lost in the playoff game last year. Like they – I don't think they want there to go out on the loss to Michigan. And, you know, this is a, a decent bowl game, um, chance to beat an SEC, a top 10 SEC team. And it's a chance for Mizzou if you're somebody who's like, oh, that was nice, 10 wins, but who would they really beat, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if they beat Ohio State, that's that's quite a win for for Drinkowitz. Okay. Um, I agree. Uh, to me, an interesting matchup is going to be Cody Schrader, who was a revelation in the SEC this year, ran all over everybody, especially down the stretch. Ohio State's defense is pretty stout. Um, they only gave up one rush of 30 yards or longer. Cody Schrader seemed to have a bunch of those as as he got rolling. This is a good Mizzou offense. I'm curious to see, you know, I know that Ryan Day is pretty excited about Devin Brown. We'll see he gets his chance here. Uh, we'll see how many guys actually do play in the game for Ohio State. I know there's a handful of guys who are expected to play. There's a couple more question marks. So as we get closer to the game, we'll see. Um how do you think it's going to go? Um, again, like you said, there's still some question marks about who shows up. I think Ohio State takes it. You know, they're still the more talented team. Um, you know, I think Mizzou kind of overachieved a little bit. And it's hard to say OSU underachieved because they went 11 and 1. Uh, but they, they lost the one that they cared about most. Um, you know, I think the Buckeyes take that one. It's interesting that we both gravitated to that game instead of the one that on Selection Sunday – would have been everybody's, you know, next in line game, Florida State against Georgia, um, two teams that could easily be in the playoff right now. But man, the 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 opt outs and now transfer of Tate Rodemaker for Florida State makes it seem like this is just going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, I mean, pretty much every big star player that Florida State has has opted out to get ready for the for the draft. Um, Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman, Jaheim Bell, those are the three terrific receivers. Trey Benson, the running back, Jared Verse, and Fabian Lovett, you know, who are really terrific defensive linemen. They're also not going to be there now. They're going to be playing with a third-string quarterback. I mean, it's not a surprise, though, because basically, you know, I did this column, and we've talked about it a lot, 
the CFP committee basically told them the games don't matter. So if if you get snubbed for the CFP, what what are you trying to prove at this point? If you're if you're those players, you went thirteen and zero. You won the conference. You shut down LSU and the Heisman winner um, and blew them off the field. You know, go go get ready for the NFL then. What's unfortunate is I'm sure if Georgia does beat them, destroy them, you're going to hear a lot of, see, they, well, you guys are, were wrong. Like, they never should have been in the playoff. Because this is going to be the same quarterback who couldn't barely throw a pass against But he wasn't, uh, you know, but Rod- yeah, but if they're in the if playoff, they were in the playoff Rodemaker would have played. Would have played. Um, which is why, like, you know, our friend Ari Wasserman is kind of the last one standing on the four-team playoff uh, brigade. Um, and I get the argument that it could have a effect on you know stakes in the regular season but where we are sitting here right now is why this thing needs to expand i mean bowl season has become so anticlimactic outside of those two semifinal games and championship game i was watching i watched the utah northwestern vegas bowl and utah all of their best players opted out um you know it was you can't even really glean anything from it you can't look at it and say make any conclusions about the team because it's not the same team that played during the season in, in many of these cases. Um, it's, it's who's left, who's still standing in some cases. I mean, Utah couldn't protect their quarterback because their offensive lineman, they already had an offensive lineman out and then the replacement got injured. Um, so Ari's point on the Sia on staying at four is what again? Um, you know, he doesn't like that. That the people are going to get that the Michigan Ohio State game would be uh, both teams are going to go to the playoff anyway, right? Like it's not wrong. Individual stakes of in the stakes of individual regular season games aren't going to be quite as make or break as they have been in a four team scenario, um, and and that frankly was one of the main arguments that held it up for as long as it did. But I just gets it's gotten to the point where they need to do something to boost the postseason like college football's postseason is just a train wreck at this point right and um you know we're talking about we're talking about the orange bowl like you and i grew up on the orange bowl as the one of the you know like the rose bowl and the orange bowl right and sometimes the sugar bowl or fiesta bowl would, would end up with one of those kind of matchups but to me those were the two and it's the orange bowl and it's being played uh what on saturday afternoon and Florida State's going to bring out their B team. Georgia does not have as many opt-outs, uh, but they're the two-time national champions. You think they, they you know, are going to come out all fired up for this game? Um, you know, next year, the same scenario. They're both in the playoff. Probably seeing Brock Bowers, probably seeing Keon Coleman, you, you name them down the line. Um, yeah, I mean, the sport needs it at this point. Let's talk about the playoff games. It's playoff semifinal, make your picks kind of moment here. Um, let's start with Texas versus Washington in the Sugar Bowl. I think these two teams are way more alike than people realize, especially when you break them down positionally. They both have extremely talented trios of receivers. Um, they have much, you know, underrated offensive lines. Now, Washington, I don't know if it's, if you'd say it's underrated, they just won the Joe Moore award, but they're really good. They have quarterbacks with pretty strong arms that can, can beat people way downfield. Um, they have defense, they have, and their question marks, quite honestly, are both in the secondary. Neither team is ranked particularly well against the pass. 
Washington is particularly so is like in the 120s. Now Washington has faced better passers than Texas has this season. But I, you know, to me, this feels a lot like Oregon, Oregon, Washington did, where I keep thinking Texas is the more talented team, which I thought Oregon was. And yet I have a hard time picking against Washington because they have been so resilient and so tough and are so good at kind of winning close games that ultimately, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to pick Texas. I'm going to pick Texas. And the more I thought about it and I just kept thinking, I was like, you know, I'm sitting here looking at this, this team there, they are 10 and one over the last two years in games decided by a touchdown or less. And while people may try to dismiss that as, Oh, this is a pendulum that's going to swing back the other way eventually, like turnovers kind of are. I don't think so. I mean, I, I think this is a team that's exceptionally well coached. They have a lot of guys who are really um, just mentally tough, I think, and have, have become very hardened to this. And I think they know how to grind. And that's what comes out when you talk to people who have played them. They just, they, have, they get a lot of respect from their opponents because of how they just find what keep finding ways to win. And that's really hard to do. So I'm looking at your you, you actually put up your picks on the side. I've not had a chance to do that yet. Washington 44, Texas 42. Would if that happens, that would be probably the most entertaining playoff semifinal game we've had in a long, long time. Maybe and since I, the Rose Bowl with the Baker Mayfield. Georgia. Yeah, exactly. I admire that pick because I too think Washington has been maybe shortchanged a little bit. But here's the thing: I'm one of the ones shortchanging them. I covered both Washington Oregon games. At both times, I picked Oregon. At both times, Washington proved me wrong. And now here we are, and they're in the playoff. And I've got this same feeling that, um, you know, I think the Pac-12 was a very strong conference this year. You've learned nothing from your experience. I've learned nothing. I think the Pac-12 was a very strong conference this year because of its quarterbacks. But I just think those watch that Texas defensive front, and you alluded to it, they haven't faced anything like this yet. And I just think that, you know, as great as Penix and his receivers are, and frankly, their offensive line as well, we haven't really seen yet what happens when he's under pressure a lot. And I think he'll be under pressure a lot in this game. Doesn't mean he won't still make some plays. He absolutely will with his receivers. Um, but will it be enough? Because it's not like Washington is dominant defensively. So um, I've got Texas 35-24. Oh, okay. Now, <laughs> I just looked at your thing. You and I, 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 I turned, I did turn these picks in. They haven't run yet. You and I have the same exact score in the Michigan Alabama game, but in reverse. Okay. So, yeah. Um, look, I, it's it's not about you've done a, an excellent job, you know, getting all these coaches to talk about these teams and analyze the X's and O's. To me, it's just as simple as I can't pick against Saban in a playoff game, especially against a Michigan team that hasn't proven they can win a playoff game yet. Um, I've seen this so many times and Alabama, I, I think people have been hung up for too long on what they saw of Alabama early in the season when they were really struggling and haven't appreciated how far they've come, even though they just beat the two time defending national champs. Um, you know, I think Jalen Milrow will, will cause some problems, but I can't give you an X and O's. And if anything, the X's and O's kind of favor Michigan. I just think, We've been Alabama's been in this spot so many times. You can debate whether they should have even been in the playoff. Maybe they shouldn't have. But now that they're in it, uh, I think they're going to win it. 
these guys have not been in that position though these guys have not um but that's kind of the thing of the alabama dynasty the coaches change i know here's here's my same thing happens yeah my problem with this like um you know i i think alabama has where their best is in the secondary i don't know how it would be an interesting matchup if they were to face like ohio state um but michigan wins games differently i don't think michigan michigan is going to try to grind it out pretty much similar to to what alabama is going to want to do i think the guy they haven't seen is is jalen milrow is a dynamic runner but it's not like michigan it's not like this is these are great alabama running backs these are not great alabama receivers you know i think michigan is going to be good enough to be able to contain them I mean, what's weird is, and I, you know, I never look at games this way, but I think if you went position by position, said, okay, who has a better running backs? I think, I think Michigan does. You include tight ends, who does a better receivers? I actually think Michigan does. The offensive line, Alabama's has gotten way better, and Michigan lost Zach Zinter. I still don't think Michigan's at a disadvantage. I actually think Michigan has a better D line. Um, they don't have a better secondary. But I could see why Michigan's favorite. I also can see why one of the things that came up a lot, and and believe me, I've heard a ton from Michigan fans over the last 10 days, is what all these coaches think about Michigan in the conference and how much is how much is like bleeding is is their own personal feeling towards what happened with the signal stealing investigation and all that. I also think when people look at Alabama, they are very, it's, it's a team that, which are you getting? The team that looked like, looked really crappy in the first half of the season, or the team that beat Georgia, or the team that, that almost lost to a really average or below average Auburn team the week before. Like, I just think that there is a question mark there just because they looked terrific against Georgia, who, by the way, is probably most similar to them in a lot of ways in terms of the structure, you know, of what they do scheme wise, of how they are built. It's a lot of it's like, okay, they're Hugh Freeze is a bad matchup. I'm not saying that like Alabama would be an underdog against them, but what like Auburn does and some of those things is like it's not. I don't think it's just a good matchup for them, right? They cause they cause some problems for them. I don't know how much Georgia is going to try to do that. What Georgia is going to do? What Georgia does largely? Um, to me, again, Alabama's offensive line mauled Georgia, and they were in for it and everything. I think this is going to be a fun matchup for a lot of reasons, but I think people, you know, who who know Alabama, they all watch the Georgia game. They were coaching the same weekend the Iron Bowl happened. I don't think they saw that. I'm not saying, you know, it's a rivalry game. Crazy stuff happens in a rivalry game. But I wouldn't just throw it out the window either is my point. And I also wouldn't throw out some of the stuff from earlier in the year that happened. You know, I mean, Jalen Milrow is a dynamic running quarterback who has a strong arm. Is he going to is he not going to have a mistake here or there? on a big stage in this game. We'll see. Also, JJ McCarthy a month like had a month to heal up. 
J.J. McCarthy is a way better athlete than I think people probably have given him credit for after watching him the last few weeks. So, um, yes, I'm a little surprised that Michigan is the favorite in this game still, but I think that's because Vegas knows kind of the matchup probably better than other people who are just looking to go, okay, this is Alabama, this is Nick Saban's team. This was two years ago of, you know, Blake Corum has not really played in the playoff. He hasn't been there. You know, he was hurt, obviously, last year and the year before that was was not the same guy from from then. I think, um, you know, I think this is a really, really interesting, you know, interesting kind of matchup. I mean, it's very interesting. It's it's there's so many storylines to this. And um, but to your point, yeah, if, if the Alabama team that played Auburn comes out and plays this game, they're going to get destroyed. Um, but we have, like I said, we have this long, long, long track record of Saban generally brings the best app, the best version of his team uh, to the to the postseason. Um, in fact, there's actually some parallels. You go just two years ago, right? The 2021 team, um, you know, they didn't lose in week two. They didn't have a game like USF that kind of set the tone. But if you remember, that team lost 41-38 to AM, and AM, I think, ended up going like eight and five. They had a shootout with KJ Jefferson late in the season and they had to go to, I mean, remember how close they came to losing to Auburn that year, Bryce Young, it was 10 to three and Bryce Young um, had to lead him down the field and they went to four overtimes and then they came out and crushed Georgia in the SEC title game and beat Cincinnati pretty handily. So that team was built you know, very differently though. Still. Very differently. I mean, Jalen Milrow is not what Bryce Young is as a quarterback. I don't think they do not have as dangerous a group of receivers as that group did. I don't know if, you know, running game wise, you know, Brian Robinson's is, is a good back. I don't think, you know, it's not like that wasn't the loaded backfield that we've come to expect with Alabama, but I do think they had better skill talent than this group does. Um, you know, Will Anderson is, you know, Dallas Turner's a good player, really good. Will Anderson was a great player. I just, I don't think this group is that group. I'm just saying there's a long history of people. I think like our, our um, like we all want to see something different. Remember how refreshing it felt when Ohio state beat Alabama in the first um, in the first CFP semifinal, the big 10 had been down for so long and Ohio state showed that, you know, under urban Meyer that the big 10 could win a national championship and, and Saban's team is vulnerable. And then just hasn't happened since then. Like, I think we have a long history of trying to talk ourselves into now Alabama's down. Now Alabama's not themselves. And then they come out and they remind you that they're Alabama. But um, I'm, I'm glad I'm going to this game because I think that it's could go either way. And there's just a lot. I mean, obviously, sign stealing dominated our the storyline of this sport for about a month. I'm sure it'll come back up in the media day and the pregame and whatnot. Um, and, and there is a lot, I feel like, a lot riding on. Well, I mean, it could. Is Harbaugh gonna sign his big, massive contract extension, or is this his last last game with Michigan? Um, you know, if if Alabama does lose, and this is crazy to say, but like, I think this will be the longest stretch that they haven't won a national title uh, since he's been there. So, uh, a lot going on there. Can I bring up one? You know, we we focused on New Year Six. There's one non-New Year Six game that became a lot more interesting to me with some news this morning, which is Joe Milton is opting out of the Citrus Bowl for Tennessee, right. which means we are going to see the first of Nico. Do you know how to pronounce his last name? Imaleava. 
Is that right? EMO. I mean, it's. I haven't. I guess I haven't tried to this point because I didn't need to, and I'm not going to try on the spot right now. But Tennessee's five-star freshman quarterback is going to make his starting debut in the Citrus Bowl. Unfortunately for him, against Iowa's defense, I feel like this is not a favorable situation for a freshman quarterback to make his first start. But there's been so much hype, and at least he doesn't have to go against Cooper Gene. That is true. Um, and he's such a, you know, was such a big part of their defense, but, and it's not like Iowa's defense is infallible. Uh, but you know what? We just, that Michigan team, we just spent 15 minutes talking about it. I felt like, you know, their offense struggled against Iowa. Obviously Iowa didn't score. So that helped. Uh, so who knows? You never know. I mean, I think Iowa takes these citrus bowl type games as seriously as anybody, any program in the country. Uh, I don't know what Tennessee's motivation level will be, but yeah, we've got basically, you know, a little update. I think I brought this up a couple weeks ago, five, five-star quarterbacks in the class of 2023, two have already entered the portal, Dante Moore, Malachi Nelson, and two Jackson Arnold at Oklahoma. And now Nico will be making their first college starts in the bowl games. Yeah. Not surprising that guys are moving. That's, that's the, that's the trend. Guys are moving a lot. I, I suspect Probably more will end up transferring. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, there was a big story off the field, as there often is in this sport, uh, on Friday, Friday of Christmas weekend. Florida State, you know, they've been they've been grumbling for some time now about their ACC deal, and that, then they get left out of the playoff, which they're blaming in part on the ACC. And so we've gone nuclear here. They are suing for, uh, the ACC. They want out of that grant of rights, and they're going to court to get a declarative judgment. They're not seeking damages. They're not, you know, they just want a judge to say that the grant of rights, the ACC grant of rights is unenforceable so that they can be let out of it so they can go on to wherever it is they, they think they're going to go and make more money. Um, I mean, this is really, even in this crazy sport with all the crazy things we've seen in realignment, this is really unprecedented. A, a, a school, I mean, that if you read that complaint, they just, they mock Jim Phillips. They mock the new teams that are coming into the ACC. They just take a blowtorch to their conference, which until this thing gets decided, and that could take years, they're still going to be a member of for some time. So let's cut to the chase. Yes, for our audience, what you think will this outcome will be? When will it happen? And that I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes. I have no idea. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how fast these antitrust things go. I will say this read the whole complaint and came away very unconvinced. Uh, I don't I don't know how you argue that a contract that you voluntarily signed, both the grant of right, you voluntarily signed the grant of rights. You also voluntarily signed the TV deal that is really the heart of this, right? Their main argument is that the ACC did such a bad job negotiating its TV deal and locked them in that they've put their schools in, you know, financial straits. But you yourself signed that contract. So I don't know how you say, you're basically saying, you know, yes, we signed it. But it turned out that with hindsight, it turned out to be a bad deal. So you should let us out of it. Like, I don't, Is there any I don't chance, is there any chance that the cynic in me would say this? There's only two conferences if you're the at Florida State uh, leadership you would want to go to. The Big Ten or the SEC. I don't see how with ESPN basically so tied to the SEC and this deal that that the SEC would be an option. I don't think it is. I think you're basically Florida. saying you're basically saying it's Big Ten or bust because you're giving the middle finger to ESPN. You're giving the middle finger to ESPN, and also like the whole way they've handled this. Um, like, there's kind of a do you really want to get into business with these guys? Uh, a sentiment like I can't see. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe it'll be five years before this is decided and there'll be some other commissioner. But I can't see Greg Sankey wanting to deal with this. I don't think the University of Florida wants Florida State in their conference. Um, they, you know, Florida State would like you to know that they're one of the most valuable brands in the sport. I don't know that they're more valuable than half the current SEC. So I think it's the Big Ten. And you would think that um, on the one hand that I'm I'm skeptical of that. But on the other hand... You would think before they, they they didn't do this overnight. Their lawyers have been working on this for a year, if not more. And you would, and you, we all know this stuff goes on back channel. Like 
to go to this length to try to, you know, they, and they even say in there, they might have to pay hundreds of millions of dollars in exit fees that you might have some sort of assurance that there's a landing spot on the other side. But yeah, I mean, I think it would have to be the big 10 and you're making an assumption that basically the big 10's going, we want all of it. We're not done. We want, we got the West coast. Now we want Florida, um, which is possible. I, I think where it's heading ultimately is some sort of negotiated settlement because I don't I think the relationship is untenable at this point. I don't think Florida State can remain a member of this conference for a long period of time while undermining it at every because by the way, it's causing damage. This doesn't affect just Florida State. Like it affects, you know, one thing that came out in there, there's a lot of stuff that came out in there that we didn't know because it's also secretive that the ACC's deal with ESPN doesn't actually go to 2036. It goes to 2027 and ESPN has an option to exercise it for another nine years. And if you're ESPN and looking at the instability in that league right now, why would you do that? Right. And that might be their strategy. Like let's, you know, nuke this thing so that they don't extend the contract and we can get out in 2027. So all roads lead to Florida. State why would that not the be there? Why would there not be their strategy? What do you mean? No. I mean, if that's Florida state, that clearly would, I would think that would be their strategy. That, that may be, yeah, I think it is. I think they are trying to sow discontent and, and break up the whole conference. Because, by the way, there's an option C that nobody talks about, which is if if you can prove that that thing is, that there's a way out, then they're not going to be the only ones that want out, right? Clemson's well, going like, to want of the, out. One of the lawyers has, has made this point of sovereign immunity. And if it comes that way in the state of Florida... Um, it becomes a political thing, and we've already seen politicians rally to Florida State's defense. Then, then it really becomes like kind of the Banana Republic um, piece of it. And you know, again, I, I, <laughs> I think one thing we've learned from the Big Ten is, you know, they're they seem to be okay with dysfunction. I don't think they, I don't think they welcome it, but. You know, everything we've just seen is something what felt like the old SEC used to be like, and it's like they just kind of switched now. They did. They have switched. I think the SEC is the much more buttoned-down conference now. With the exception of Lane's social media, the <laughs> SEC seems to be fairly copacetic by, by most standards, whereas the Big Ten is, you know, 12 angry men kind of thing. And let's face it, the Big Ten is run by a TV network now. And I know you can't say that, but I, I think Fox calls. Dude, the they're all run by TV networks. Yeah, they're all run by TV networks. <laughs> you're to kidding to, yourself. To you to don't some think extent the other or another. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but I'm saying if like Florida, Florida, that's the difference. Florida State joining the SEC does nothing for ESPN. It's, it's why would ESPN want to go from paying bidding itself against yeah, itself? What, they pay double than they do now to show Florida State football games. But, you know, Fox and CBS and NBC getting into the getting, a, a, you know, playoff contending team and a, and a whole new state and a whole new market. Yeah. I mean, if you're if we're basically saying there's no geography to conferences anymore and clearly there isn't, then that makes some sense. But, yeah, what I can say is option C is. I mean, what Florida State doesn't say in that lawsuit, which is it would be inconvenient to them is to say, even if you even if you put the ACC TV deal back out to market today. They're not going to get Big Ten SEC money. They're not valued that way. They're valued closer to what we just saw the Big 12 get and what the Pac-12 could have gotten but turned down, which is around 30, 31, 32 million a year, not 60 million a year. So I think 
if the grant of rights was lifted tomorrow, though, would Florida State, Clemson, Miami, obviously Notre Dame is a part of this, uh, Louisville, which has got a great college sports North Carolina. TV market, North Carolina, just you know, leave leave the bottom feeders to fend for themselves. No more Cal and Stanford and SMU, and that you go get a TV deal that on the aggregate might not be that much more, but per school would be better because um, you're splitting it less ways. Like that, maybe that's the the outcome, you know, rather than um, betting it all on the big, whether the Big Ten will take you, we can at least create something that's a little more, frankly, more of a football product. I mean, the ACC is, at its roots is a basketball conference that has tried to um, remake itself as a football conference. But at the end of the day, there's only a ha small handful of schools that care that much about football. You know, the arrow I feel like is going up since we're talking about this, Louisville. Louisville has Jeff Brom now has resources at that place and he didn't at Purdue. He does now. He's a really, really good coach. I think they have a, they are very active in the portal. Um, I definitely think they're a program that's like on the rise. And I'm not saying that's going to turn into like a huge TV chip. It's not like all of a sudden they're going to have um, Michigan or Ohio state's kind of following, but I, I do think there's a lot of stuff going on there that's probably bodes well for that program. Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing this this tier of programs that aren't necessarily blue bloods, but have a passionate fan base and have money and have NIL money. Look at what Ole Miss is doing in the transfer portal this year. Like, they've, they've got themselves a heck of a collective, and Lane is just basically going out there and calling his shots. We want this guy. We want Walter Nolan. We want Juice Wells. We want this guy. We got that guy, and they've getting him, Right. And it could lead to Ole Miss being a lot better than they have been. So Louisville, to me, is is very similar. Um, they've always had a fanatical support there. They obviously had success under Bobby Petrino before he went belly up twice. Uh, so you're right. Like, I think they're on the rise. I think Virginia Tech has been dormant for a while. But if they can get it going again, like they they were a big brand name in football for, for quite a while there. By the way, both these schools that we're talking about, Virginia Tech and Louisville, are playing today. In bowl games, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I broke news to you for the way you expression. You know what's that? I feel like I broke news to you. I was like, wait, Virginia Tech's playing today? <laughs> the look on your face maybe said otherwise. Virginia Tech's so. playing Tulane. I think it may, the game may be over uh, by the time this publishes. Yeah. Um, yeah, today's we are recording on the twenty seventh, and and there's always a day on the calendar where the bowl. I feel like the bowls kind bowl of games like, start to get good. Yeah, they start to get good, and today's that. Today I mean, is that day. I'm but, very curious about the holiday bowl. But the right. one quick thing before we move on that has nothing to do with what we just talked about, other than the bowls, is um wildly entertaining game in the guaranteed rate bowl of Kansas and UNLV. Kansas had a Dennis Erickson era Miami level of penalties last night, which doesn't kind of mesh with what I expect from Lance Leipold team, but it was just a crazy game where you saw Kansas receivers look like those Miami receivers from back in the day. They were like making huge plays and it was just a very entertaining. It felt like that was the most entertaining bowl game we've had so far. And I know we have sung his praises on here many, many times already, but I think, Again, stop and appreciate how bad Kansas Kansas football was the laughing stock of this sport for like a dozen years or more. And it was hard for them to even get to three wins. 
And he comes in, and last year he finally gets them to 500 regular season, gets them to a bowl game. This year, nine and four. The Kansas Jayhawks went nine and four in football this year, even without Jalen Daniels, who who coming into the season I think was the preseason Big Twelve offensive player of the year. So they finished with their most wins since that memorable uh, 2007 Orange Bowl team under Mark Mangino, and I think their future is very bright. Same here. Okay. Um, do we have mailbag questions or no? Uh, not. No, we we don't actually. Maybe people took Christmas off. You can send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. Our next episode, though, will be probably in the wee hours of the morning. Can after... we do a shout out before we go? Yeah, sure. But let me just quick programming note. Our next episode will be um, after the semifinal games on New Year's Day. That'll go up, I believe, the next morning. So um so look for that and yes shout out you want to go first you want me to go go ahead i didn't know we were doing it so i'm okay i gotta think uh my shout out is not to a college football team or a player or a coach it's actually to a former colleague of ours shout out to jeff schultz Mm. long time voice of all all things atlanta sports i think before that he's a he's actually one of the few you know southern california natives who i've met who's grew up here and um I've enjoyed having drinks with him at some of our offsites in the past. I'd read him for years. It was cool to work with him. After 42 years, as we're taping this, he announced that he is retiring. Um, bittersweet. It was a really, it was a very uh, touching farewell column he wrote. Um, I want to ask you a question, Stu. Uh, we are both at an age where we're we're closer to the Jeff Schultz side than we are to the I don't know whose side. Um, Jana Bardal. Sure. Um, She's our. Do you ever do you ever think of these things? Retiring? No, not retiring. But like when you see one of these, what goes through your mind? Take out the your your feelings for the person. I mean, I'm kind of in awe. Like, you know, I, I've talked to Jeff over the years. I kind of knew his career trajectory, but he he spelled it all out in there. He's covered the 49ers uh, way back when. He's actually a California guy. He's not from the South. He, uh, But he ended up making, you know, uh, Atlanta his home. Like, I mean, he, he did it, right? Like 42 years, probably covered every major sporting event there is to cover um, was a, was a must read in, in a, in a major sports market for, for decades. Like, that's my thought. Like if, if I could retire feeling like I did all that, I'd be a very happy man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shout out to Jeff and, um, definitely made an impact on a lot of people. It was cool to see. I noticed Stephen Godfrey, who's another, uh, college football reporter. We know, uh, he mentioned some 20 years ago, he re- as an aspiring sports writer, reached out to Jeff Schultz and Jeff Schultz responded and, um, probably was encouraging i would think um so so i think we all have a story like that and that's why i try to do the same when people reach out i can't say i'm perfect but you know i get a lot of emails from college students or recent college grads hey do you have any advice and i try to what do you tell them for people who are listening what do you tell them well i mean each situation is a little bit different but um usually uh Usually, you know, it's like there's there's people who are kind of already on the track, right? And like they don't frankly need that much advice. But there's people who reach out who are clearly very passionate about this and just don't know how to get started, right? Not everybody 
kind of follows the um, the blueprint, right? Uh, journalism school, internships, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I like to try to point them in the right direction. I say it's a lot different than when I was coming out and when you were coming out where it was like, there's basically one track, right? Go, go find yourself, a, try to find a way in at, at your local newspaper and um, give people coffee and hope to wait, work your way out. And the internet and in, in social media, like, How many people have we seen basically just make a career, you know, start their career by gaining traction on social media, um, kind of just like one man banding it? Yeah, I, one of the things I felt like there was a good stretch, you know, when I was at ESPN Magazine of noticing all the rivals and I don't know if 247 was around yet. It might have been just some version of Scout, but I was like, you know, these people are often looking for teams on college campuses to cover. You'll get good experience and that's a good way to get your foot in the door. And obviously nobody gets into this business to get rich. So I think that's the thing is ultimately it's like, okay, try to do the work try to to do the work or like the people maybe you look up to and see where it takes you and and you just said the key thing like just and that's what i say to go get experience like don't you know i i don't think sitting and writing your your thoughts on sports is gonna you know there's so many voices out there how do you separate yourself but uh, there are fewer beat writers There are fewer people covering these teams in general than there have ever been. Like there's voids that need to be filled. And I'll give you a very recent and perfect example. Uh, towards the end of Northwestern's bowl game, Sean McDonough kind of just nonchalantly mentions that this is the last game for Mike Bajaki and their OC and for four or five other assistants. That nobody knew that. Like kind of suspected David Braun would probably make some staff changes, but that was like, whoa, that's that's news to us. Uh that 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 they're making those changes. And so some of my Northwestern friends were texting, like, how is that possible? You know, how could it, I'm like, cause they don't have any beat writers. The only people that cover that program are, are students who are home for winter break. Right. Like that's kind of one ironic. of the school that is one of the top, probably 15 journalism schools is. Hey, timeout, have... timeout, top 15. You're... What is this? <laughs> what are you, the CFP selection committee? <laughs> no, I'm it's just top four, top four, top four. Let's give you top nine. How about that? Top um, two, top three. Oh, stop, Ravel. All right. Anyway, so. Yeah, they don't have. We'll see you guys. You're saying the irony the... is that the top, one of the top journalists schools and nobody covers them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, I guess it's absolutely true. But yeah, like opportunities like that are out there for um, people who are looking to break into the business. Did not expect to go on that tangent this morning, uh, but that's fine. Always happy to talk about journalism and getting into journalism and whatnot so again um we will see so we will everybody enjoy the, the again this is a great week of bowl games even leading up to the playoff and then we'll watch our uh our double header on on uh new year's day and then we'll you'll hear from us after that see you next time <laughs>